Abram did not earn the blessing of Genesis 12. And even if he had, he would have lost it, wouldn't he? He would have forfeited the blessing by the end of the chapter. No, God's blessings are never earned, never merited. They are given by grace. And friends, you and I, how we need this reminder today. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. And we're continuing our series, The Blessing, looking at Abram. And Jonathan, as you pointed out last time, in Genesis 12, God, in a sense, interrupts the narrative. He interrupts Abram's life and, in a sense, says, I pick you. I'm going to bless you. What can we learn from that today? I mean, how does that apply to us some thousands of years later? Well, it's a beautiful thing how God's blessing of Abram really comes out of the blue, obviously planned long before in the heart of God. But in the story, as you point out, it seems to come out of nowhere. It's all God's initiative. And as the story goes on, if we were tempted to think that Abram was some kind of hero that God chose because of his merits, we discover that he is not. He's a flawed and sinful human being who God decides to use in his grace. But but the emphasis on divine initiative, on God's outpoured kindness in this man's life, it teaches us something very, very important about the way in which God operates. And it is that God chooses people because he chooses people, and he pours out his kindness because he's kind. And we can never lay claim to the blessing of God on our own merits, but we we rejoice in the fact that he delights to pour out his kindness on the undeserving and sometimes on the unsuspecting as well. One of the uh, great comforts I think we can take in the fact that God does uh, choose to pour out his blessing on whomever he chooses, but there can be a tension sometimes in that where it seems, at least to our human perspective, that's unfair. Why Abram? How, how come God chose to bless him? Why not anybody else? Well, and with those kind of questions, of course, that do occur to us. You know, we look at the story and we, we do think, well, why Abram? And we, we honestly don't know. God doesn't disclose to us anything really of his criteria. And there are elements in the workings of God uh, that we won't understand that are mysterious to us. And that's okay. I mean, one of the things I want to say when we, we bump up against questions like that and sometimes folk are a little bit troubled by it, one of the things I want to say is, God being God, we should anticipate that there will be things we don't fully understand, and we should anticipate that there is information we aren't necessarily given, and that's okay. He is God, and we are his creatures, but what a delight to hear from him through his word and to respond to what he's made known of himself through the Bible, and I trust we'll be able to do that today. Well, let's do that. We're in Genesis chapter 12 today, so if you have a Bible handy, grab it and join us there as we continue the message, Blessed to be a Blessing. Here is Jonathan. The salvation blessings of God come by His initiative. Next, they come with a call to respond. It's worth seeing and registering the sheer difficulty of all that God is calling Abram to take on board here. He is calling him to leave everything family, security, land, and to go to a place that is unknown. He is calling him to believe that he will be a father to a great nation, and it seems all so unlikely. It is all so against the odds. Abram is 75 years old, chapter 12 and verse 4. Rather old for starting a family, but more than that, chapter 11 and verse 30, Sarai, his wife, is barren that this couple should believe that they will produce offspring, even a whole nation, it is laughable. 
the land itself, when they get there, it's already occupied. Chapter 12 and verse 6, at that time the Canaanites were in the land. And before too long anyway, verse 10, a famine strikes and they need to look elsewhere for food. It is challenge after challenge after challenge. It is obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. It is impossibility after impossibility after impossibility. But God, without any hesitation, without any irony, without any embarrassment, calls Abram to believe and then go. And here's what we are told happened, verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. In the gospel of Jesus Christ, God promises to take messy lives. He promises to take broken people, people, people like you, people like me, and on the basis of the death and resurrection of his son, he promises to forgive us, to accept us, to welcome us into his family, to bring us to his heavenly home, to bless us in all eternity. And we look at our own record of sin, and we look at our record of failure, we look at the mess of our lives, and we wonder if that miracle of forgiveness, that promise of forgiveness can actually be true. We hear the promises of heaven and eternal life, and we wonder, is it just a fairy tale? We hear the promise that God will take us and carry us all the way home, and we look out at the hard road ahead, and we know the obstacles, and we know the challenges, we know the difficulties, we know the griefs on the way, and we wonder, is this journey actually feasible? Can I make it? There's opposition en route. There's a famine, a crisis, an illness, a difficulty, a loss. If we started out believing, we wonder if we can keep on believing. And then, of course, there's the question of our own comfort here in this world. We're not told this at the outset of the chapter when we first meet Abram, but a little later we discover that he actually had done quite well for himself in Haran. Notice verse 5 with me. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When Abram and his household left their home at the Lord's command, it seems like they needed a little fleet of moving trucks to help them. The shipping containers were lined up on the driveway. They weren't in a bachelor apartment with a couple of sticks of Ikea furniture. They weren't impoverished students. No, Abram and Sarai had quite the setup in their homelands, quite the household. And the call here is pack up everything. Leave the support networks, the livelihood, the business that was evidently productive and prosperous, and go to a place that is as yet unknown. When the writer of Hebrews reflects on all this, you may remember the profound comments he made in chapter 11 and verse 8. The writer of Hebrews says this, By faith Abram obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abram was a man of faith. He wasn't just looking forward to a nice piece of real estate in Canaan. No, his eyes were set even beyond that to eternity. He was looking to the city above 
to his more permanent home. And because of that, he was willing to do some risky things, some things that on human terms look pretty ill-advised. He was willing to leave home. He was willing to leave his extended family. He was willing to leave those support networks and all that was familiar. He was willing to set out on this journey. And in all this, Abraham is, of course, for us a model of faith. He's a model for each of us because as we put our hand in the hand of the Lord Jesus and we entrust our life to Him, as we commit to follow Him day by day and for all the years ahead, we are actually turning our back on all that is familiar. We are turning our back on all that is tangible and apparently safe, and we are entrusting ourselves, our future, our everything to the promises of God. We are relying on His blessing. And we are setting our sights on an unseen homeland above. We see it, don't we, in the call of Jesus to those fishermen all those years later. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they leave their nets and they get up and they follow him. We see it today, don't we, in stories of those who have heard the call of the gospel to trust and to follow Jesus and who have quite literally had to leave their homes and their families because their family rejected them and they've set out to go they know not where. We see it in the stories, don't we, of those who have left their homes because of the call of the gospel to make Jesus known in other places far-flung, unfamiliar, perhaps dangerous places in the work of missions. We see it in the stories of those who have left financial security and worldly stability, worldly ambition to serve in the work of the gospel vocationally. We see it in the stories of many among us here who have decided to trust in Jesus, to hope in heaven, to live to serve Him, and who have set aside those petty ambitions of the world the drive for success or fulfillment or wealth in this world, who have stopped putting all their hope in this present world and who have decided to live for him and for the world to come. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And Abram did. And in the gospel, the call is the same actually for you and for me. I wonder if you've ever heard that call. I wonder if you've ever heard that invitation to follow Jesus, to trust Jesus, to set your sights on heaven above. I wonder if, like Abram, you're ready to respond in faith to the call of God. And I wonder if, having heard that call before now, as most of us have, having responded perhaps in years gone by, I wonder if you and I today are still trusting in the promises of God delighting in the blessings of God, longing for the home that he's prepared for us and holding lightly to this present world all the while. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called Blessed to be a Blessing. As we've been taking a look at Genesis 12 today, we're going to pause right here, but we'll get back to the message in just a moment. If you ever miss a broadcast, you can always come to our website and you can stream the program through your computer or mobile device. You could also download a copy, just an MP3. You can get that for free, and that way you can listen to this program whenever it fits your schedule. Or, of course, you can always be listening to the radio and join us that way. But if you want to listen online or get the MP3, just come to our website. It's EncounterTheTruth.org. Back to the message. Here is Jonathan. The salvation blessings of God, they come with a call to respond. And finally, now they come to a flawed 
and a sinful people. It's amazing, actually, how quickly things go wrong when Abram sets himself to follow God's leading. It's just fascinating, isn't it, to see how the story unfolds. He gets to Canaan. He is in the place of God's calling and God's will. He sets about making altars to the Lord and calling upon the name of the Lord. He's making progress, I think, claiming the land for the Lord as he travels about it. And what do we expect? We expect showers of blessing, don't we? We expect things to go very, very well for him just as you and I expect things to go smoothly when we're seeking to do the Lord's will, when we're on mission for the Lord. But actually, it's rarely quite as smooth as that, is it? It rarely works out quite that way. Trouble strikes quickly, verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. Uh Uh-oh, that's trouble. That's not what we expect here. That wasn't in the travel brochure for Canaan that Abram saw on the shelf in Ur or Haran. It wasn't in the plan. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. This was no minor heat wave or a dry few days. This was a severe famine, we're told. No clouds in the sky day after day after day, week after week after week. The green fields had become dust bowls. As you look out at the herds, you see gaunt figures and rib cages on display. You see cattle fainting and expiring for lack of water. Children are going hungry and crying out for food. But this is meant to be the Lord's plan. This is meant to be the place of the Lord's blessing. And Abram might remember how good things were in Haran. He built up wealth. He was prosperous back there. But when God called him to Canaan, he had to deal with the Canaanites, first of all. He not only had to trek around this new land, setting up altars and claiming it for the Lord, no doubt against some pagan opposition, but now this land of blessing, which he's working pretty hard to claim, it turns out to be not so blessed after all. And we can just imagine the kinds of feelings that might rise up. Maybe you've actually had this kind of experience personally on some level, some parallel experience. The Lord calls you to follow him, and it's exciting, and it's a joy. But no sooner do you trust in Jesus and commit your life to him than things start to get a whole lot more complicated, a whole lot harder, a whole lot more difficult. And this life of blessing starts to look a whole lot more like a life of trial and a life of heartache, or you sense the Lord leading you to a new area of Christian service, a new ministry, a new mission field, and you embrace cost and risk, and you sign on. Maybe you quit your day job. You take a financial hit. You move your family, and you anticipate the blessing of the Lord to be raining down from heaven. And no sooner do you get there than disaster strikes. What's going on, Lord? And, you know, the time of pressure becomes a time of testing. It is a time of spiritual vulnerability. And in Abram, actually, we see that it becomes a time of failure. It becomes a time of sin. Right away, verse 11. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life will be spared for your sake. Here is the great hero of the faith, the man at the very center of God's plans, not just for the nation Israel, but for the entire world through the gospel. Here is 
the man at the heart of God's plan to overturn the damage of sin and to make this glorious new start. Here he is at the very beginning of this wonderful venture with the Lord and for the Lord, responding to the calling of God, having taken on untold risk and cost. And what does he do next? He makes a catastrophic and sinful mess of it. Abram's under pressure. He's got to feed the family. He's, he's got to manage a crisis. And now he's presented with this challenging situation, a difficult situation. He, he decides to leave the land of promise and go down to Egypt. And, and we wonder as we read that Egypt's not a great place for the people of God. Is this a wise move, Abram? He's now going into this hostile and godless land. And, and going in, he fears that the people there will have no scruples, maybe even worse than the Canaanites. He's aware that his wife is a beautiful woman, and some Egyptian might decide that he wants the husband out of the way. And rather than protect the honor of his wife and the sanctity of his own marriage, Abram does something that seems both cowardly and deceitful. He says, let's just pretend we're not married. Let's pretend we're not married so that if some Egyptian wants to marry you, they won't beat me up to get to you. How about that, Sarai? How would you feel about that? We learn later in Genesis that Sarai was actually Abram's half-sister, so it is a half-truth that he tells. But the whole maneuver, it, it looks pretty cowardly. It looks pretty self-serving. Abram is looking out for numero uno above all else. Just notice what he's saying here. If we don't do this, Sarai, look what's going to happen. End of verse 12. They're going to kill me, but let you live. We can't be having that. Obviously, that's not the way this should go. No, no, no. Verse 13 Say you are my sister so that it may go well for me because of you. Yes, Sarah, you may end up being forcibly taken by some Egyptian, but I think I'll be okay if we do this. We clear on the plan here? Good, great, let's go. Let's head on in, sis. And the plan, it works out just beautifully, actually, doesn't it? Verse 14. And when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful and when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake he dealt well with Abram. And he was given a, a sort of dowry for his sister. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Sarai's dignity reduced to nothing, taken into Pharaoh's harem. But Abram, he does really well out of the deal on one level. He's lavished with riches. And whatever shame or pangs of regret he feels, they are soothed by his immensely increased wealth. It seems to be going well in some way, but that's only for the short term. Although Pharaoh doesn't know it, he has become guilty of adultery, and God judges him and his household with plagues. He soon discovers what has really gone on here, and he summons Abram for an explanation. And rather than punish Abram as he might well have done, he proceeds actually in what seems like a relatively decent way, at least in comparison to Abram. He is rightly outraged, but he sends Sarai back to her husband, and he sends the whole lot of them on their way with all the riches they had gained in the process. Verse 20, and Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. And so Abram does actually end up back where he should have been, back in the promised land, but he ends up there now because Pharaoh of Egypt has expelled him and forced him to go back. This is a dark chapter, a dark section in the story of Abram's life. The hero of faith becomes immediately a catastrophic failure of discipleship. It's sordid. 
It's cowardly. It's ugly. It's a shocking way, really, to end one of the most hope-filled, promise-rich, theologically significant chapters of the Bible. Why did it go like this? What is the Lord telling us here? Well, a few things, I think. He's driving home the point, isn't he, that Abram isn't the hero of the story. He's driving home the point that salvation comes from the Lord Himself and no one else. It's God's plan, God's blessing, God's gift. The hero of the story, just like the hero of every other story in the Bible, the hero is God Himself. He's driving home the point, isn't he, that salvation is not something we ever earn. Abram did not earn the blessing of Genesis 12. And even if he had somehow managed to earn it at the start of the chapter, he would have lost it, wouldn't he? He would have forfeited the blessing by the end of the chapter. No, God's blessings are never earned, never merited. They are given by grace. And friends, you and I, how we need this reminder today. How we need this encouragement, actually, because the fact of the matter is this, and I think we all know it if we're being honest about it, the fact of the matter is this, we are all messy characters, aren't we? We are messy characters who sin and fail and get it wrong. And if that first recipient of the salvation blessings of God had been a flawless hero, if Abram's record had been perfect, You and I might read that story and imagine that we could never reach the place, attain the place of being ready to receive the salvation blessings of God. But the wonderful gospel reality is that God chooses to save and to bless and to use weak and flawed and sinful people. Amazingly, the failures of God's people don't stop His plan. They don't ruin His salvation purpose. Abram could well have feared that his failure here in Egypt, his compromise, his cowardice, his sin, he could well have feared that this would destroy and derail God's plan to bring blessing to the world through him. But wonderfully, that wasn't the case. That didn't happen. You and I may well feel that we've made a mess of things in our Christian discipleship. Do you ever feel like that? We've made a mess of things in our Christian service. You ever feel like that? We may well look back on sin and foolishness in our own life and wonder if we have now rendered ourselves useless in the service of God. You ever wondered that? We're now simply just a hindrance to his mission, hindrance to his work, hindrance to his plan. But if Abram is anything to go by, and I believe he is, if his story teaches us anything, and I think it does, it teaches us that God doesn't give up on his failed people very easily. He doesn't cast aside his blessed and his saved people. And he still uses such people, failures and all, sin and all, he still uses such people for significant work within his kingdom. And so if today you are facing, you are staring in the face some kind of compromise or sin or failure, and you're wondering today, is God finished with me? Can my life be of any use to him any longer. If you're thinking that, if that burden of concern is on your heart, may I invite you to consider Abram in Egypt. Consider that the story goes on. Consider the patience and the kindness of God, and may I encourage you to take heart today. Salvation blessings of God, they come by his initiative and his grace. Praise him. They come with a call to respond in faith. Have you responded to that call? And are you still responding to it today? They come to a flawed and a sinful people. 
And friends, that means there's hope for you and there is hope for me. There is a place for us, even us, imagine it, within the plans and the purposes of God. Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth, wrapping up our message, Blessed to be a Blessing, the first in our series simply called The Blessing. Well, we're glad that you've joined us today, and we want to let you know that this program is made possible because of your generosity. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book called Everything a Child Should Know About God. It's written by Ken Taylor, and it's our thank you gift to you as you give a gift of any amount this month. You can find out more or give online when you come to EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. Again, our website, EncounterTheTruth.org and the phone number, 833-998-7884. Well, thanks for listening today. Thanks also to our producer, Mark Breda. For Jonathan, I'm Steve Hiller. Join us next time for Encounter the Truth.